When you speak, confusion fades. Just a word, and suddenly I'm not afraid. Cause you speak, and freedom reigns. There is hope, and every single word you say. Everything you 
Turning, we're going to be on page 703. 703 in the church Bible, right at the middle today. Psalm 117. Uh, real quick, got some praises and some prayer requests. Little August Haynes is doing better. He's gaining weight and talking about making adjustments to his feeding and maybe, did I understand, maybe adjusting the oxygen a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, I thought so. That's amazing. Bless the Lord for that. Um, we need to continue to pay for, pray for Pam. She's got actually confirmed she has COVID, so we'll pray for her. Susan and Joe Placentia are still traveling uh, to the northeast up there. We'll keep them in our prayers. Uh, Jacob Moore, who actually helped us set up all the sound and video stuff here at the church, uh, he's got a bacterial infection that's really giving him a hard time. He's in ICU, uh, and he also has some kidney issues, so... We will keep Jacob and his family in our prayers. Uh, Raul Jr., uh, I, may, I don't want to mislead anybody. Um, I made an announcement last week he's doing well. He's doing well, but he is still on treatment. So we need to continue to pray that God will work in, that, in his life and his family's life. And Nina has got the stomach bug today, so bless her. So today we're going to read all of 117. It's a nice short psalm. If I learned a word today. It's in the first verse there. It's, it's laud. And so I, I, knew, I knew I was supposed to look that up and see what that is. And as to praise publicly for the greatness of the one you're praising. And I thought, wow, what a cool word. So that'll help you understand this verse more to know that word. <clears throat> praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the opportunity today to come to your house. And uh, Lord, help us to understand more uh, what Lord could look like in our life every day, Lord. That we, not just today, but every day, would publicly profess who you are and give you praise in our life so the world would know not who we are, but who you are. So we bless you for your word, and we praise you that your love endures forever. And Lord, we do lift up these requests this morning. <clears throat> we bless you for the praise for little August. I pray you continue to work in that perfect little body, Lord, that you created. I pray you continue just to help him grow and mature. And Lord, that you would amaze the doctors around him uh, in his progression and its healing. And Lord, we also uh, continue to lift up Pam, as she's fighting COVID, and uh, be with Susan and Joe as in their traveling, Lord. I pray you oversee that. And Lord, we lift up Jacob. Uh, he is having a tough time. So we pray, God, that you would intercede um, for your glory. Lord, that you would step in and you would uh, heal 
fully and completely Jacob Moore. And Lord, we also lift up Raul Jr. and Nina, Lord, as they um, continue, Lord, to need you and your strength in their lives. Uh, we pray for your healing there. Bless you today, Jesus. And uh, Lord, we don't want to miss any word that you have for us today or any day. So I pray, God, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are hungry for what you have for us today. We bless you. We thank you for the new word. Help us, Lord, to live it out uh, for your glory and for your name, Jesus. We pray all these things. Amen. <coughs>
Good morning. Well, I join with that prayer and with the songs and with the uh, scripture reading this morning that we do come in this place, bow down and ready to worship the most holy God. Um, our message today is going to start in Romans. We've been in Romans for several months, and and we are on page 1305, Romans 12. <clears throat> And as I was beginning to study and, and look into our message that might come out of Romans, the Lord really turned things kind of upside down. So I have a little different message than I had originally thought we were going into. But I just want us to be reminded that um, Paul was leading us in uh, Romans 11, that he was helping us to understand God's salvation and how it unfolds through the picture in the olive tree and this place of where Gentiles are going to be grafted in and those branches that have been broken off from Israel will be grafted back in as those who come and receive the way of salvation through Jesus. God refers to this place, or Paul refers to this place directed by God in verse 5 and 11 that he's talking to us as a remnant, that this remnant is what will remain and then we are grafted into this remnant with his purpose and his plan. So with that understanding, he starts into chapter 12, verse 1, and Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be proved, <clears throat> that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. So Paul is helping us to understand that if you really and truly understand the fullness of what he's been saying in all of Romans, how God has made you righteous through the blood of Jesus and grafted you into his family, then he is saying right here in verse 1, he's saying that, you know, I'm, I beseech you, I, I, I long for you to understand, I encourage you here to, by his mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. That means every day of our life would be in a sacrificial way for his glory. Not about us, not about what we want not about how we feel like we should be living our lives, but in a sacrificial life that would be bring glory and honor and praise to him. And I love, as, he, as Paul says that, sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He said, I just can't imagine that you wouldn't do this. Holy and acceptable to God. 
He's saying, out of all the things that God has done for you, that we have talked about through Romans, out of the great understanding of his great love and mercies, isn't it reasonable that we would live in such a way that would honor his holiness? And he starts off in verse 2 by helping us understand one way that that is going to begin to happen. And he says, do not conform to the world. And he says, There's, if you're going to live in this life that is holy and acceptable and a living sacrifice, he's saying you can't conform to the world. You can't be a part of the world. And then he goes on to help us to understand that. But to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you'd be transformed. And what this means is, is that you walk daily, that your life becomes more and more and more and more reflecting who he is. Saying that, and, and Paul writes, that you may prove what is good and acceptable, and the perfect will of God. That's what our lives should look like, completely. That we are not conformed, that we're not a part of the world, but that we are transformed. And that we're walking in such a way that our lives reflect his goodness, his perfect will. So with that in mind, as I was looking to write a message today that moved forward from there in this passage, <clears throat> but the Lord awakened me to something else that I want to share with you, and it came to my attention that there were churches in town, and apparently a trend of messages going across at least the United States over the last couple of years about Christmas time and that message is a place that brings attention <clears throat> to the Christmas movies that we have that have been there for years some of them and some of them are new but that these Christmas messages have a purpose leading us into greater spiritual understanding. I was troubled by some of the things that I heard, and I felt like the Lord took these two scriptures that we've just studied right here and opened them up to me and said, you have to see that what is being taught is false teaching. And you have to speak against that. That we might not be drug off by the world. So I listened to one of the messages. In fact, I listened to two messages, two different messages, that I might understand what was being taught and, and to understand through God's direction whether or not this was false teaching and um, what I might say and bring to you today that would be 
acceptable for his purpose and his will. It was said in the movies, I'm going to watch my notes quite a bit here so I can tell you exactly some of the things I wrote down. <clears throat> this movie is called It's a Wonderful Life. Some of you may have seen that. I saw it many years ago before God changed my life. And uh, it was said in the, in the sermon, in the message, that this wonderful life calls to something inside of each one of us. Something that God wired in us. That he designed us for this something, this call that this movie is portraying. It was said that this movie calls us to something that makes us more like Jesus. The vast majority of the movies, it was said in the message, echo this something, which is the story of God and humanity. Let me say that again. It was said that the vast majority of movies... echo the story of God and humanity. The pastor giving this message pulled a scripture from Acts, Acts 17, verse 28. So if you turn with me to page 1277, Verse 28 reads, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So this is quoting... One of the, some of the poets of this time and attributing some of the attributes of God to Zeus. So what is being written here seems like it's talking about for in him and Paul is saying in this place for in him we live in, and move and have our being, as also as also some of our own of your own poets have said. He's saying, in God, Paul is saying, for in him, God, Yahweh, we live and move and have our being. But some of your poets have written this very understanding about Zeus. 
So I went back and read chapter 17 to understand a little more. And what you see in verse in verse 17, <clears throat> that it's being he's talking to Gentile worshipers, pagans who are worshiping Zeus and other pagan gods. In fact, if you look on down to verse 24, he makes mention of the fact, uh, in, I'm sorry, in verse 23. It says, For as I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. So, He's coming along here and he's saying, as I'm passing through and looking at what, how you're worshiping Zeus and these other gods, you have this inscription to the unknown God. And he's saying, I know who that God is. And I want to awaken you to what you don't understand. And he goes on and he says in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though, the need that, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from, the one, from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And, he's, and so Paul is saying, this is the, is the unknown God that you don't know. This is the God you don't know. But you take many of these attributes and your poets use them as if they are, are true of other gods. I want you to look with me as we look on down to verse 30. As Paul writes, he says, Truly these times of ignorance, of, I'm sorry, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. In other words, for a period of time, he's overlooked your ignorance of who he is. But now commands men everywhere to repent. In other words, what I want you to hear here is that he was not lifting up these other poets for what they're writing about other gods, but rather he is coming and saying, you're in your ignorance, you don't recognize who the most holy God, the God over all things, the one who has given life and breath to each and every one of us. The only, the only God, the only true God. And because of your ignorance, you've not known that, but now you're being made known. 
And he says, so I am calling, commanding that you come and repent. That's what Paul is saying here. But in the message of of the sermon that I listened to, it seemed as if the, the speaker was saying that these poets use things of their time and things of other gods that could help us to understand more about our God. That's not what Paul is saying. It's twisted just slightly off. <clears throat> Paul calls, called these people to repent. That's the message of Acts 17. But the speaker of the message I listened to says there is an echo of a larger story of the true God. In other words, he's saying that the things that the poets were saying in this time about Zeus were really an echo about God. What I want you to hear in that is that that lowers God to a standard that he will not be lowered to. pastor giving the message said these movies all have a kingdom connection because they have some understandings in these movies that signify love and kindness and giving and these are things that would draw us all to think that we should live more like it's Christmas every day. Because it calls us to the kingdom of God. He went on to say that it doesn't mean that the whole movie and the story in the movie is true, but that we have to be discerning about what is true and untrue. But he said these movies, these Christmas movies that everyone seems to watch, that they stir up desires in us of love and of kindness and goodness that speaks of God. He did say that there were some things that were untrue in the in the movie, <clears throat> like the message, the messenger Clarence, who is an angel who comes and speaks with the main character. Excuse me. But overall, the message is true.
I was reminded by the Lord of a couple of things that he's taught me through the years. One of them was many, many, many years ago, probably maybe 15 to 20 years ago, as Raja and I were very involved with a group of people here from Nepal, the Bhutanese people, who worshipped many other gods. And we were, um, I was invited to attend a ceremony one day that I didn't realize what I was going to. I was told that it was to see some of the children uh, do their dance. And so I went innocently to see that performance. But when I got there, the room was filled filled with people. <clears throat> and after a short time, I realized that I was in a ceremony worshiping one of their gods. The goddess of Diwali, the Diwali goddess, was the what the ceremony was for. Now, there were children dancing, but it was part of a worship service. So as I began to talk to the people and say, I cannot be here. I cannot be a part of this. The things that they said back to me struck me and have never left me. They said, oh, Miss Deborah, you do not understand. This ceremony and this goddess of Diwali is much like your Christmas. It's all about love, forgiveness, gifts, and acts of kindness. It's very similar to your Jesus and your Christmas. I said, no, it is not. You see, what I saw that day, and I have seen many times since then in other ways, is that just because something is about love doesn't mean it's about the love of Jesus. Just because something is a kind act doesn't mean it is rooted in Jesus. Just because many people do good things and they have no love for Jesus and no understanding about Jesus and they've certainly never surrendered their life to Jesus, I've seen it. I know many people that do good things but not out of the heart of Jesus. So just because a movie brings us an understanding of doing good things, of love, of kind acts, does it reflect Jesus? I was also reminded of a time... <clears throat> When Roger and I went to talk to a, a family here in town, a, a gentleman and his wife, and um, they had us over for dinner, 
and wanted to discuss our understandings of Jesus and the Bible and God. And we were certainly anxious to do so. But as we got into talking, the whole thing was is that this gentleman wanted to say that we and our beliefs were the same as his, but he was Mormon. And we would not agree to this place that we were the same. And I remember the man saying to me so clearly, he said, you know, we believe in Jesus and you believe in Jesus. And I said, yes. And you believe that he is the son of God. And I believe he is the son of God. But you don't believe he's equal to God. You don't believe God and Jesus are one. You believe that Jesus is lower than the Father. That you don't actually believe that he's really divine. You don't believe that Jesus is God. That separates us. What I began to see as God was talking to me over these places is that the problem is the root. You see, the man we were talking to at dinner, if you look at it at the surface, they believe in Jesus, the Mormons believe in Jesus, and we believe in Jesus. It seems like we're the same. They believe he's the son of God. We believe Jesus is the son of God. Does that make us the same? The Diwali goddess represents forgiveness and loves. It's a time of gift giving. It's a time of doing acts of kindness. It's a time of going and asking people for forgiveness if there's been some place between you over the last few months and years. We would believe in forgiveness. We would believe in love. We would believe in acts of kindness. Does that make us the same? Because that's the premise of this understanding over this message is that these Christian movie I'm sorry, Christmas movies reflect Christian understandings. Therefore, they lead us to understand this truth was what the pastor said. That Christmas is about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When I heard that, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Because that is not truth. It sounds so right and it sounds so good. But when you see the root of what is being taught and what is being discussed, it's like these other places. The root causes the fruit. To be defiled. I wanted to take you to a scripture that uh, it's in Revelation 22 
<clears throat> Let me see if I can give you a page number really quick. Oh, I'm, I've got it. It's on page 1426. No, that's, oh, oh yeah, uh, here it is, verse 16, page 1426, verse 16. And Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is saying, I am the root and the branches now, I, wanna, I think I want to take you to where Paul talks about this. Let me see where this is. I, I just, I really don't. Okay, it's verse 16, and back to Romans 11 on page 1304. Paul wrote, wrote uh, in, in Romans 11, verse 16, page 1304, where he's talking about this um, being grafted in and how this will be. And he says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. You see, the fruit will be holy if the root is holy because the branches are going to be holy but when there is a root that is unholy the fruit is unholy the branches are unholy so no I cannot agree with what this pastor has determined because he made a statement that Christmas is about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, he has taken a part of truth and twisted it to make it say something that the Bible does not say. So let's look at that. It's on in John 1 is where he's quoting from. <clears throat> and that's on page 1220. Verse 14, and it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It says nothing about Christmas being reflected in this truth. So the root of this understanding is that Christmas is about this. The Bible does not say that. So I wanted to give you a few highlights here. 
of things that I felt like the Lord gave me regarding this. So, first of all, this word Christmas is not in the Bible at all. So to say that Christmas is about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us is made this statement untrue because Christmas is not about this. Because, why? Because the Bible does not give us that understanding. Christmas is a, a made-up ceremony and not something that is commanded in the Word of God. Now, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy to, on page 205. Page 205, Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. It says, and you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. You may not add or take from the word of God. But Christmas is not in here at all. Now, look with me at on page 218, just a few pages over. Deuteronomy 12.32. It says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. Do not add to the word and do not take away from the word. Now let's go back to Revelation. I should have had you hold your page there. Revelation 22, page 1426. <clears throat> Starting in verse 18, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I would say God is very serious in the beginning of the law in Deuteronomy to the very end in Revelation God says don't add to and don't take away from the things that are about him so to make a statement and say Christmas is about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us has added to God's truth
turn with me to 2 Timothy. It's on page 1368. Second Timothy chapter three. Verse 16, <clears throat> it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. My second point comes very clearly as the scripture in no place celebrates or mentions the celebration of Jesus' birth. The birth of Jesus, the event, is talked about in Luke and in Matthew. But there are no dates given for his birth. No place does it say it was in December. No place does it give us a date. And yet, it says that all scripture has been inspired by God. So somehow God forgot to give us the date to celebrate the birth of his son. Yet he has told us not to add to or to take away. And yet we have added our own celebration of a time Jesus called these doctrines of men. When we decide what we want to do and how we want to worship and celebrate our Savior. Out of all the Bible, there is not one time that any of the writers, Paul, Peter, John, the, the Old Testament prophesying about the time of celebration for a birth, there is prophecy about the birth, but not of an ongoing celebration. God is so specific in Leviticus about the celebrations that he desires for us to have and they're about his feast. And they do proclaim the life and death of Jesus. But they do not include the birth. Passover is about the death. Unleavened bread. He was buried on unleavened bread. He was raised on first fruits. His spirit was given at Pentecost the Feast of Trumpets, Jesus will return. Day of Atonement will be a final judgment. And the Feast of Tabernacles, he will dwell with his people. But not one place is mentioned about celebrating his birth. Did God forget this? 
if it was all inspired for our doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of walking in righteousness, and God forgot to tell us what he desires for us to do. Jesus, his disciples, and the early church never celebrated Christmas. But rather, Christian, Christmas was brought about in the fourth century where historians document that at the time of the Roman Empire, there was a celebration every year called Saturnalia. This is called Winter Solstice, and it is a celebration of the shortest days of the year. It starts on December the 17th and goes through December the 23rd. On December the 25th, there was also a celebration <clears throat> called Bernalia, Bernalia, and this particular day on December 25th was to celebrate that the sun's length of time on the face of the earth was longer on this day. The days began to get longer on December the 25th. And they celebrated this day as a day to celebrate the birthday of the unconquerable sun, Sol Invictus. In other words, a day back in the fourth century was being celebrated as the birth of the sun god because he was in his mercy bringing new life back to the earth. Because in this time of the winter months and as the days got shorter and shorter, there was darkness. They didn't have a lot of light. It was very cold. There was more sickness. There was a shortage of food. There was more death. And so December 5th was a great time to come and to worship and to celebrate the sun that it was coming back. In different countries, different places, the same sun god was celebrated in, in much the same way, such as in Egypt, it was to Ra. In, to, in Persia, it was to Mithra. In Greek, it was Apollo. So different nations came and celebrated 
in these much the same ways. But in the Roman Empire, with this soul invictus, at the time of the fourth century, there was the emperor Constantine. And Constantine was not a great emperor, but he was better than some of the ones right before him who were killing all the Jews and Christians. And Constantine wanted to be remembered as one of the greatest emperors to ever live. He saw himself as a god, and he raised himself up as a god. So he wanted to do some things to get along with the pagan people in his, um, under his authority, to the Jewish people, and to the Christians. So what he did is he began to cause or make a, a ruling that they um, had to celebrate at the same times of the pagans. You see, he did not like the Jewish people at all. Um, he felt that they might rise up against him. He saw they walked in power and authority. And he had uh, a strong place of anger against them and so he did away with all their feast that they could no longer celebrate their feast but he did say that if they wanted to celebrate <clears throat> and the Christians if they wanted to celebrate their God they could all come and celebrate it on December the 25th the birth of the sun god. So Christmas first became celebrated at this point in time because of the sun god. <clears throat> so to me, through the scriptures we've looked at today, Christmas is the, is the fruit of a root that is pagan. When people come and say, we have to put Christ back in Christmas, I want you to say, Give me a scripture where Christ was a part of Christmas. And if they say, well, look at Luke and look at Matthew, you can say, yes, he was born on a day of which we do not know at a, a time that God never chose to tell us, but not December 25th. It was never in the Bible to celebrate December 25th or any other time for Jesus' birth. So anything associated with Christmas 
comes from a root that is pagan and an abomination before God. In the movie, it was mentioned that the Christmas trees represent Jesus because he was crucified on a tree. If you'll turn with me to Jeremiah 10 on page 880, Jeremiah writes, starting in verse 2, well, let's start in verse 1. Jeremiah writes, and he says, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to me, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. So we've just taken this place of Christmas that was learned from the pagan Gentiles when God says, do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of, of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the works of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree. They cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. And as much as there is none like you, O God, you are great, and your name is great in mighty, in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations, in all the kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is, worth, is a worthless doctrine. Um, okay, so what I want you to know is going on here. It is a little different. They weren't necessarily celebrating uh, Christmas, but I believe Jeremiah's words are a place that would concern me. What was happening is, is that in the winter time, they uh, would go out, the children of Israel would go out, and they would cut down evergreen branches and evergreen trees and bring them in because they believed that the trees out in the forest had good and bad spirits. That's why it says, don't be afraid of them. They don't do evil. But they believed they had evil spirits in them and good spirits. The trees that were evergreen, they believed had good spirits in them because they didn't die. So they would cut down the evergreen trees and they would come in and they would nail them to the floors that they would stand up and they would ward off the evil spirits through the winter time because the tree would stay green. So to say that Jesus is a reflection 
of being of the Christmas tree, there is no connection that I find anywhere other than Jesus was nailed on a cross. But in no way does it say to us that we should bring a tree into the house and decorate it, honoring and worshiping Jesus. But this place says don't do that. The other place that was mentioned in the uh, sermon was that the reason that we put lights or that people put lights on Christmas trees is because Jesus is the light of the world. And this is a far stretch from that as well. The Bible doesn't ask us to do such things. But rather, you know, I, I was even thinking about it. I, I thought, you know, you, if you just take this understanding, you can almost create any scenario about and say it's about Jesus. I mean, you could take car lights going down the highway. So I was driving home the other night, and I thought, oh, my goodness, Jesus, you could be in all the car lights, and we could all say, look at Jesus in all the car lights. It becomes absurd because the problem here is that the church has joined in with this pagan understanding and is trying to create a way to justify their keeping a pagan holiday. The next movie that I watched was about Polar Express and about the fact that, um, and I won't go into much of that movie, but basically the movie is about a little boy that doesn't believe in Santa Claus. But at the very end, a, a bell rolls off of, of the reindeer and rolls over to him and all of a sudden he chooses to believe because he can hear the bells from the reindeers that he couldn't hear earlier. And so when he chooses to believe, he now sees what he never could see. Guess what it is? It's Santa Claus. And this is supposed to reflect our belief in Jesus, is that if you'll believe, you can see. It almost made me want to throw up. I was so defiled by this understanding. We have taken this made-up man that we teach kids about, about Santa Claus, of whom we lie to, and we bring in a lying spirit into our children And we teach them to believe in something that is not true in a man that is really magical, that knows all things, that sees all things, that rewards those who do good and, and punishes those who do bad. And then at some point in time in their life, we go, oh, that's not really real. You don't have to believe in that anymore. That's all just for fun. But I do want you to believe in Jesus who sees all things.
who knows all things, who blesses those who are good. And there is eternal punishment for those who do evil. Now you should believe in him. And we wonder why the world is so troubled and so confused. Turn with me to Psalms 101 on page 689. in verse 7 about halfway through verse 7 it says he who tells lies shall not continue in my presence if there if you just want one scripture of why you shouldn't be celebrating Santa Claus that's enough for me I believe Christmas teaches greed and the love of stuff. If we look at John, 1 John on page 1399, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want you to know there was a point in time in my life when I loved Christmas. It's true. I had everything decorated. I had every nook and cranny had something Christmas on it. I went into debt every year so that I could buy my kids more than they ever could imagine or hope for. But I was ignorant, as we saw earlier. But God has called me out of that place as he brought truth to my understanding. And I did do, as Paul said, I repented of this place. And I had nothing to do with it anymore. Roger and I burned all the Christmas stuff and threw it away and got rid of everything that it had no place in our home. This verse was one of the verses that God brought to me as he began to show me all the things that were untrue about Christmas. Some say that Christmas has been redeemed. I have even heard a pastor stand before his people and say, Christmas has been redeemed. I've had a pastor sit and talk to me and say, Christmas has been redeemed. I had someone speak with me last few weeks and said, well, Christmas has been redeemed. There's not one scripture they can give you for such a, a thought. But what I do want to tell you is that the Bible is very clear 
that the only place of redemption is for mankind who was separated from the Father. Not one other place has ever been redeemed. And it's only for those who have surrendered their life to God's plan of salvation. Turn with me to chapter 2 of, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, page 1330. This last couple of scriptures I do want to give to you. So that if someone talks to you and they don't have scriptures, I want you to have scriptures. Okay, uh, chapter, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul writes, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'm telling you, if there is anything that the world is yoked in, it's Christmas. But unbelievers, believers, people professing to be Christians, those who have nothing to do with, with Jesus at all, pagans, everybody does Christmas. They're yoked together with this Spirit, I want you to hear me. It is a spirit of Christmas. And they are yoked together. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out among them and be separated, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughter, says the Lord Almighty. I will tell you, to be a person who has separated from the Christmas spirit will set you apart. People don't understand it. People don't know what to do with it. It sets you apart. If we're to be set apart, how can we be celebrating what the pagans and unbelievers are celebrating? First Peter says to be holy for he is holy. If the root is defiled, the branches are defiled. But I want to leave you with this last scripture where we started in Romans 12. It's on page 1305. 
as I tossed back and forth for a minute of giving this message, the Lord made it so clear to me that he had placed us right here on this scripture on this day. He knew exactly how we would teach every message up until this point. It is his message today for us to hear. Verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen.
Sound. 